0: There is no you know body of water, body of a person, body, you know, there is no area on the planet that does not contain microplastics. <music>
1: Are you ready to be the change you want to see in the world? Are you ready to make choices that have a positive impact on your daily life, your community, and the planet? You are in the right place. I'm Anne-Charice And I'm Robin Shaw. And this is the Hate Change Podcast. This episode is sponsored by Parents for the Planet. Hi, I'm your co-host Robin Shaw, and it has been so amazing doing the Hey Change podcast with Anne Therese. I'm so excited for this opportunity to share with you something that I've been working on, a platform called Parents for the Planet. I am hoping to help create a better planet for our children and better children for our planet. I believe that empowered parents can change the world and we can change the world for future generations by how we raise this one. Follow me on Instagram at ParentsXPlanet or come check out my new website, ParentsXPlanet.com. Let's create a better world. I know that we can do this and families have so much power to help raise the next generation of changemakers. Madeline Wallace is a microplastics expert, a Five Geyers ambassador, and a model with Role Models Management in New York City. She has been speaking out against water issues since the age of nine when she founded her first nonprofit organization, raising awareness about climate change and drought in Africa. And she was acknowledged by Bill McKibben's National Climate Rally. At the age of 16, she was part of the highly influential Our Children's Trust lawsuit, which sued the U.S. government and the EPA.
2: Madeline specializes in marine microplastic pollution and legislation, conducting research in Indonesia, the Arctic, the Bermuda Triangle, and the Galapagos Islands. She is also the Microplastics Policy and Science Fellow at the Women and Indigenous-led Environmental Organization Seeding Sovereignty. This conversation is so informative and helpful to understand what is going on when it comes to plastic products and their impact on our world. If you've been wanting to learn more about microplastics, this is your episode. Let's dive in. Madeline McGillray, the queen of microplastics, welcome to Change. How are you?
0: I'm well. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and talk with you ladies.
2: So we're going to go ahead and dive right into the topics. And we wanted to start with just have a better understanding for your interest in sustainability and microplastics and what led you down that path?
0: Wow. So basically I was 18 years old and I had a lifelong Kind of activism journey my mom is an environmental attorney total badass and she would kind of drag me around i mean drag like well i was willing obviously it wasn't you know but but she was this you know non lawyer and uh, we would go around these places actually around the world that she was helping communities who had been impacted by various environmental disasters corporate extraction, et cetera, um, mostly water related. And uh, I was able to witness all of these disasters, which is, I think, a very unique way to see the world. It was by no means glamorous. It was, you know, on a shoestring budget. And I, you know, got to college and didn't know what I wanted to do. And um, when I was 18, I basically signed up to go on this Trip from um, Bahamas to Bermuda, doing microplastics research, and I had never heard about the issue before. And it was with this organization, the Five Gyres Institute, and that sparked my entire interest in microplastics. And. I went on to get my thesis at Barnard and and do my thesis research at Columbia. And I found the one guy uh, at Columbia, Dr. Joakim Goz, who is doing microplastics research up there. So it just went from there and post, you know, grad, I am still doing it. And now in grad school, I'm still interested in microplastics.
1: At any point, did you consider taking a completely different field or I know that you're interested in music as well and stuff. So did you ever think that you were going to go in a different direction or did you always feel like this is the area that you want to study?
0: I think that I have never attached myself to one specific area. It's more the amount of time that I have devoted out of curiosity to certain topics. So microplastics and I think we'll talk about this later when we get into the specifics, but the reason that I have sort of delved into the issue is many fold. And in terms of other passions of mine and interests, I, it's all still possible, <laughs> right? And uh, I have... So many different goals and aspirations in life. I see myself as having, you know, just a lifetime, hopefully, obviously, we never know of uh, capacity for sort of devoting to various different areas. Um, But I think that your question actually speaks to the multifacetedness of microplastics and how they actually can be fighting for you know change in that realm can be applied to many different i guess to be more specific than areas you could say industries or demographics or professions etc
2: so basically what i'm hearing is you, f- you feel like there is this um huge opportunities or many opportunities to actually work for positive change when it comes to microplastics and there is so much we can do and we need to basically just get to action and do it i i would love to dive into the topic cuz i feel like the listener no matter who he or she is may know a little bit of microplastics but i feel like the world at large just doesn't know enough and so i am curious to always learn so much more about it and um i would love for you to share your expertise like what is a microplastic, first of all, um, like, where do they show up? And ultimately, why are they dangerous? And why do we need to know about them? Okay, it just yours.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, cut me off when it gets to be like half an hour of me just answering this one question. <laughs> so um, uh, seriously, let me let me know. But basically, I would say if you are new to microplastics, and you don't really know what it is specifically. I will start by saying that, you know, getting down to the the micro, a microplastic is a piece of plastic debris. It doesn't actually have to be debris. It can just be any kind of plastic, and we'll get into that. That is that measures five millimeters or under in diameter. So that is the technical definition of a microplastic. There are many, many, many different variations and uh, chemical makeups of plastic. And if I may, I will just go through sort of the brief and broad like life cycle so that people have a way of orienting like what the heck, where is this thing, as you were saying. So to start off with that, I'll say that there is no you know, body of water, body of a person, body, you know, there is no area on the planet that does not contain microplastics. So let's just take a second to sort of Internalize, (laughs) no pun intended, microplastics are everywhere. So pristine, you know, mountaintops, you know, and we'll talk about airborne microplastics. I was lucky enough with the Five Tires Institute to do research in the Arctic. We were on islands that were not inhabited by humans and hadn't been for centuries. And we found microplastics and we found, you know, they're just simply everywhere. So I think to conceptualize the issue by understanding that it's not like there's this garbage patch that a lot of people have heard of that is in the great pacific gyre and it's just sort of floating there and there is uh there are areas of the world ocean that have more stagnant larger pieces of macro plastic and where lots of micro plastics sort of coagulate that's why the five gyres institute is called the five gyres institute because there are five subtropical gyres in which a lot of microplastics congregate and because they're basically the currents that drive the the, the processes of the world ocean so uh, <laughs> it's easy to just go down one of these little rabbit holes and talk about the specifics i'm trying to keep it broad for now So let's talk about, now that we know that, let's talk about the little life cycle, basically. Number one, and reason number one why microplastics are so applicable to so many different areas of, of life and activism is that they come from oil, right? Like petroleum is, plastic is a petroleum product. So plastic comes from a fossil fuel that is drilled from the earth and Unfortunately, well, fortunately, now that sort of oil companies are seeing that, you know, oil for energy is dropping. But unfortunately, they're as they're seeing that they're basically planning to really ramp up plastic production, because they're still drilling for oil, and they that needs to, you know, drive a profit for them. So the oil industry is sort of the same thing as the plastics industry. And as much as 8 to 10% of a of a rise by 2050 and i'd be happy to cite some you know papers and a lot of the things that i'll be referencing here that you can put in the show notes and stuff and so number one oil is a plastic product or well, plastic is an oil product and it is refined it is melted it there are several chemical processes that change its makeup and make it plastic basically and there's two basically directions it can go from there. So step one, oil. Step two gets melted down into these little beads. We call them... pellets like or sometimes we call them nurdles they're like pre-production plastic pellets so they get melted into these little balls and then these little balls get and they're tiny little, little things and they get melted then and molded into whatever you know macro plastic product a single use disposable you know plastic bottle straw whatever laundry detergent bottle and so what happens there is the plastic pellets are microplastics Right. So those are primary microplastics. And essentially, we've, you know, we've seen and read articles of barges carrying trillions of these little things across the world. They have like one little tear, you know, in the in the steel or whatever it is. And then a beach, they wash up. And of course, now beach is just like basically not sand, but these plastic pellets. Um, so those are microplastics. They have the same harms as the microplastics that we all sort of think of, which is these little many, many, many colors and particles and stuff. And then the second, you know, secondary microplastics, essentially, are the bottle and the detergent and the straw that gets made from the pellets, then gets used. It goes into production. It gets purchased by a person. The person uses it. The person, maybe well-intentioned, recycles the object. Unfortunately, this is also an opportunity to say that recycling, at least in the United States, is a myth. It doesn't really happen. doesn't happen nearly as often, as well, as fast, as At least it does in some countries. Some countries are doing it right. You know, I know like, you know, if you buy a bottle of whatever Coca-Cola in in Germany, you know, it might come in glass bottle that's all nicked up and it's been really actually used over and over and over in the United States. That doesn't really happen. Um, So the person might have recycled it. The person might have just thrown it in the trash, which is the main thing that people do. And uh, unfortunately, that D- detergent bottle is now either sitting in a landfill or actually more often than not, it made its way into some, you know, whatever body of water is closest to that person's waste disposal or municipal, you know, waste. And so now it's in some body of water, okay? Maybe it was sitting in a landfill for a while. It became brittle from the sun, you know, just over many, many, many days. And now it is either you know, subject to ocean currents or river currents or etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And now it has become millions and millions of pieces of microplastic from that one bottle. And so those pieces of microplastic are now circulating uh, the world. They are in soil, they're, of course, in water. And I guess that brings us to in the life cycle, the food chain, right? So if it's in the water and some, some of the researchers that I was able to work with at Columbia actually were the first people or some of the first people to figure out that, um, you know, phytoplankton and zooplankton are like trying to eat these things. So it starts off at the very bottom of the food chain, and then slowly makes its way up. So one piece of plastic will make its way up. It will essentially, you know, now it's in the belly of a piece of fish you're eating, right? Or now it's in the belly of of a bird. But that's, excuse me, that's my sign that I'm talking way too much. And I apologize. (laughs) But um that we're almost we're almost done with this. Um, uh, that is where a lot of people stop. I think if you know about microplastics, that's where you think, okay, microplastics are these pieces of plastic that sit in fish or that get eaten by fish. And you know, that's a problem for the fish, right? Or that's sad that an ecosystem is basically comprised you know of microplastics however <clears throat> does not stop there it really doesn't uh, in fact the harm increases exponentially after this so I will say that uh, Dr. Marcus Erickson who is the co-founder of the Five Gyres Institute with his wife Anna Cummins was one of the first people to identify the toxicity of microplastics and their capacity to attract toxins in whatever body they're in, body of a person, body of water. So long story short, what that means is the fish that now is ingesting this piece of plastic, or of course, it's many pieces of plastic more realistically, it's not just ingesting plastic. It's actually ingesting plastic pieces that are not only toxic in and of themselves, but that have now attracted all of the endocrine disrupting toxins, the POPs, the persistent organic pollutants along their journey that were literally manufactured to persist and to never go away. And oftentimes, these are neurotoxins, as I said, endocrine disrupting horm- uh, toxins. And so we're actually ingesting those. And, um, you know, these particles bioaccumulate up the food chain. So the larger the the animal that we're consuming now, the the marine animal, the more toxins because you know these animals have contain more fatty tissues that get stored in the fatty tissues. So when you're eating your piece of tuna or sushi or whatever, and you you just had a long day at work and you're like, yes, I finally get to order in, and I'm gonna order some freaking sushi, baby. And unfortunately, it's uh it's not going to be as healthy as maybe what, you know, we talk about mercury and limiting our fish intake and stuff, but it's really a bigger issue than that. So it is a human health issue because we are ingesting PCBs, DDT, like all these POPs that I was referencing. And I will, I will sort of cap off this horror, horror (laughs) by saying that the most recent research is showing us that, we have these toxins in our bodies from microplastics. So we actually have microplastics physically in our bodies and they're breaking down to be small enough that they are now they're classified as nanoplastics. They're entering into our cell walls. They are inhibiting um, certain growth. They're now crossing uh, over the placenta and they're in fetal fetuses growing and they are actually inhibiting our blood cell function. Literally, they are attaching themselves to plasma and denaturing our plasma proteins. So this is actually, as I say, it's so applicable to so many different issues. We're talking about fossil fuels, oil, marine life, et cetera, human health. But really, this is like a public health, like a looming public health crisis, in my opinion. And I've talked to many doctors about this, actually, who advised me to sort of you know, and if you're listening to this, this is also something that we really need is more research into the health impacts. And we really, really need to know exactly what the harm is. But the way that I sort of think about it is like, it's like smoking or or like EMF radiation or something It's kind of like, we, we, we have enough proof that it's bad, but we need to use the precautionary principle. We need to say, well, we don't have understand that you know having having microplastics in our systems is pretty bad
2: what's the name of that movie where um uh, will smith gets stranded in manhattan and like we have man-made this virus that takes over humanity i'm legend i'm legend and i feel like i'm just like how we finally created this one thing that slowly just likes taking over everything and it's it's from us and now it's so out of control where it's literally like Steeping into our bodies and in the, like the children we are like birthed into this world, and even before they have a chance to take their first steps, they like infused with all this talk. Cause it gets so scary in so many ways, and I know we're laughing, and there's no way you can't laugh about this because like it's just such a heavy topic. Um, the question I would like to answer, uh, ask before we move on is, because I think maybe the listener is is wondering, like, how is it that we do have microplastics all over the world? How do we find this in the Arctic? How do we find this, you know, in places that humans haven't been? I know, of, of course, they travel with stuff, but like, can you just like really explain how it is that microplastics end up in all parts of the world?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the question that you're asking also allows me to, um, Sort of say another thing that I I think is a really important way to conceptualize the issue. So, Dr. Marcus Erickson, who I referenced already, um, coined this sort of phrase of referring to the plastics issue globally as a plastic smog. So, what we're dealing with here is not a bunch of large pieces of plastic that you can go and clean up. We're dealing with trillions and trillions and trillions of teeny, 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 I mean, really microscopic um, that are absolutely impossible to remove from their environments. So it's no wonder that they're everywhere because I didn't even talk about microfibers, (laughs) which is, you know, my like other kind of passion and in in the fashion industry um, which are airborne which you know French researchers st- just swabbed tree leaves and found that there's just random trees have just are covered in these little microscopic fibers Um so they're everywhere so conceptualizing the issue as number one they're everywhere they're omnipresent you know but number two it's like a smog in that in atmospheric smog you can't clean it up. You can't take a butterfly net and just kind of sweep up the this, this smog. So in a similar sense, you can't, you know, take a net and sweep up the plastic, but in a similar sense as well, um, a smog is sort of slowly descends. A smog kind of comes down and in the ocean, microplastics are slowly sinking to the bottom collectively. So depending on how long they've spent in that, that sphere, um, or, or you know, whatever region of the ocean. I think a lot of them kind of chill right below, like in the benthic, and then um, slowly and slowly they're sinking. So that's sort of an, an added thing. I know you didn't exactly ask about that, but I think it's an important thing to mention, which is that kind of the mark. You know, marks sort of the Anthropocene on the planet is like this layer of plastic on the bottom of the ocean that is um, wreaking havoc. You know, up above with humans, and at the very, very, very bottom with the creatures that dwell down there as well.
1: It's so like my initial response to this is just like it's just terrifying when you learn about this. It's really, it's really tough to take in because it feels so, so big. Um, one of the things I just wanted to touch on is you met of the eighties. Like I remember, like recycle, and there's been such an emphasis on recycling as if that's going to be a solution but it sounds like recycling really isn't a solution to this problem
0: it's so it's so painful right robin to think about this and hear it i i will say that it really is a tricky topic uh to talk about because i still recycle you know the the everyone who i know who is in this you know has a passion for for trying to make a difference and is capable of trying to do that recycles i think that it is actually worse to it's worse to recycle wrong than to not recycle and i think that the education around recycling uh has not been sufficient um in terms of people don't understand that they have to actually clean their products, their, their takeout or whatever it is before recycling. And if it has contaminants, if it has food material on it, it is rendered useless and goes into the trash and it actually costs, you know, the facility a lot more and a lot more energy to do that. So recycling is this funky thing. We really only recycle about 10 to 15% of, of our waste uh, in in the United States at least. Um, and, I would say to someone like you or myself or anyone who's listening, who's like, wait a second, what, what are you saying? What do I do with that information? I would say, continue to recycle, even though I just told you that it's a myth, please continue. Um, but the focus is on um, promoting accessibility and expansion of, um, you know, obviously, you know, if you have the capacity to, to support brands and 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 you know services that are trying to upcycle or or circularize their production that's great but also if you're in the position where you can advocate advocate for you know return deposit schemes like loop or trying to get that in your favorite product or trying to get you know them on board and talk to your to your department your 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 city board um but if you're in the position where you can't do that try your best and recycle. Um, and side note, can I just really quickly talk about um, food waste and biodegradable packaging? Because if you're listening to this and you're like, okay, Madeline, you must be saying that biodegradable packaging is the solution and recycling is actually, you know, okay, well, let me focus on buying things that are packaged with biodegradable packaging. Unfortunately to that, I will say that that is almost worse um, for several reasons. Number one, is oftentimes um, we need to bind these organic you know well plastic is an organic compound as well but when I say organic compound I think a lot of people think of like like corn or something so I'm talking about that you need to bind if you're if you're if you have a product that's made out of like sugarcane or corn or whatever it is you have to bind it with something and oftentimes those are very toxic the processes for creating these containers is quite toxic number two most municipal um sort of composting facilities do not have the capacity to turn around these products in time. They don't have the budget because it actually takes a really long time to compost these kinds of containers. Um, you know, it kind of takes like way too much time. It should be a, uh, should be really quick it should be like a month or two months or you know but these it's like over two years that these things decompose and it's not not cost effective it it doesn't save anybody anything and number three biodegradable packaging is sort of this crutch that doesn't actually get to the root of the issue which is a behavioral shift that needs to happen and it is um, kind of halting us from Uh, adapting these policies and behavioral changes that we actually need in order to have any lasting change. So if you're, you know, getting a thing of takeout or you bought a product online and they use, you know, like a decompostable thing, I would say, see if your municipal um, facility is able to compost that. uh, And if it isn't, it goes in the trash. And when it goes in the trash, a lot of people throw these things out in the trash. And when it goes in the trash, the trash does not have the capacity to break down compostable materials properly. So what ends up happening is it creates methane and methane is so much more toxic than carbon dioxide. So you're actually creating emissions at a rate much higher than you would be if you were just buying something out of uh, virgin plastic
2: want to thank you so much for bringing that up because I actually have this conversation a lot with my my dear husband and um there was this one time this summer where we went to some place and you know of course it's COVID so it was outdoors and they had like all just kind of compostable um eating um like cutlery and stuff yeah and I was like you know me just kind of freaking out about the fact that we decided to go out to eat because I'm like we should have just cooked at home because this is terrible he's like no but this is at least they're compostable and that was the argument too that the the girl selling the stuff was was giving and I'm like yeah but I see that they're just going straight into that trash bag over there and all the people here and if they do care about the environment think they're making the right choices and they're justifying you know creating this disposable waste because it is compostable and I'm like. It's something to hear This doesn't sit right with me. And um, I think you're getting at the core of the issue where there is no behavioral shift that needs to happen. I think it's just kind of like masks the problem and it allows us to continue doing what we're always doing feeling better about doing it. And actually, it's ultimately worse. Right. Because that is just like ultimately fueling food waste. You know, you're now you're putting something that's made out of food into the trash and it's not being properly broken down into uh, compostable matter and so so thank you for bringing that up I would say like are there any um like when you do go to the store and you, obviously you can't just buy stuff in your your hands and bring them home that way like there has to come in some sort of packaging like what are some packaging that you know that we should be looking at for that's better than compostables or um plastic
0: I really feel for everybody right we are all in the same boat we're we're fighting this battle and we're we're really doing this uphill climb in terms of trying to take it into our trying to take it into our own hands and it's almost impossible to do that because every brand every corporation every store is sort of um okay well that's a big generalization but you know you know the industry at large is uh is telling us that we need convenience convenience convenience, convenience. and um so we're sort of adapting away uh, from understanding the importance of you know what let me get that thing out of glass it's going to be heavier for me to carry home but you know that value is diminishing although i would say that it is coming back in certain communities but to answer your question um there are certain plastics that are Recyclable, there are certain plastics that are impossible to recycle. And unfortunately, the, (laughs) the like arrow, uh, triangle, triangular sort of three arrow symbol, uh, was created and it seems to be kind of a, a key symbol of the environmental movement or whatever. And brands who, and and the 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 agencies that created the different types of plastic, uh, you know, you have one, three, five, and six, and all these different types of plastic. They put these numbers in these triangular arrows when you see a container that has absolutely nothing to do with recyclability. That is literally just the chemical makeup of the plastic. So people see that and they think, oh, okay, there's different types of. And, you know, you can look up online and see which types of plastic are more recyclable than others, but it doesn't have anything to do with whether or not you can recycle it. It's just recyclability, if that makes any sense. So anyway, to get to the point, um, harder plastics are easier to recycle. And I think that that makes sense. Like, how do you recycle a, um, you know, you bought a head of cauliflower at the grocery store and it's packaged in this sort of thin film right? Um, That is so much harder to, it's basically impossible to recycle. You can't recycle it. Same thing, you know, same reason why you can't recycle plastic bags that are sort of flimsy. So I would say err on the side of um, hard plastics that do not have um, like a film around them, Like if you, for example, if you buy a bottle that is a glass bottle of some kind of beverage and it has this thin film around it, you have to remove that in order to recycle it. If it has a label that's plastic that's taped onto it, you have to remove that in order to recycle it. So err on the side of things that are hard plastic that don't have any other kind of funky accoutrement. I bought a thing of pasta in a pinch the other day that was in in paper but it had so that you can see the type of pasta it had this little plastic film and I go to tear it off and actually it turns out that they had lined the entirety of the paper bag with this plastic so I couldn't recycle it because I couldn't remove it as a one whole thing so that's another issue and I'll also say as um lastly that um the like kind of stand up sort of harder plastic. Like if you bought a, a, I don't know what comes in it, but there's a lot of different products now that, that are using this kind of thing. I forgot what it's called, but it's sort of zip. It has like a, a, um, ceiling at the top, but it stands. It's kind of like, maybe you'll buy a snack that'll come in it. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? It's I know it's, it's sort of tricky. I forgot what it's, it's, Oh, like think of a Capri sun thing. Do you know, like that drink, it's like that kind of packaging where it's not totally hard plastic, but it's not super flimsy. Anyway, it's lined with like so many layers and it's printed on in so many different ways. It's just absolutely impossible to recycle. So any kind of packaging like that is also um, really try to steer clear from that as best you can.
1: So thank you. I mean, I, I have so many questions but <laughs> the the kind of th- the thought process that I'm having right now is like okay so like you're in your day and there are certain things that we do that creates a certain amount of waste Um, one of the questions that I have for you is just to really be like just for I guess for me to even in my own day like to be super clear about when I am attempting to recycle properly what I'm hearing you say is we need to separate All of the pieces. So, like if there's a film around a bottle to take that off, is that true for things like a carton, you know, of oat milk that has a plastic nozzle? Like, do you have to separate that to recycle it?
0: Oftentimes, you cannot recycle lids with bottles. It's so crazy, (laughs) Robin. I know. But if you want to gain clarity, I mean, we're all lucky because we live in places that we can easily google if you just google recycling in and then whatever city or town or wherever you're in um you should get the correct information but um your question is one that so many people share i didn't understand this thing about lids i mean it's just not intuitive at all like we're trying our best and it has been made impossible to do everything perfectly
1: yeah. So and so that's really great. That's such a good point. So to to Google recycling in and then the town that you live in and then you'll have a, a better understanding of what's acceptable and, and how to properly recycle. That's super helpful. And just what you said before as well, in terms of like you have to wash the recycling clean enough that you could almost eat on it again, right? Like does it have to be dry?
0: Yeah, I know. I know. It's crazy. It's it doesn't necessarily have to be dry. I tend to just do it's funny because actually we've been doing a lot of cooking and I've, I've never eaten less takeout, um, but that's a whole other topic because I had another conversation about takeout and COVID and wanting to support small businesses. And also this concept of people being like, I'm so stressed out. I just want to order takeout and not cook and how that has actually fueled a lot of um waste, unfortunately. But um, you know, that aside, I think uh, wash your takeout containers like with your dishes basically. Is what I'm saying. Treat treat them like they're your dishes. Yeah.
1: So uh, the the other question that I'd have just while we're in this topic is, how has this changed your own habits, and what are some of the habits that you can share with us that we could also take on to start to address this problem?
0: Yeah, great question. I mean, I'll say also that um, it's to the point that it's so hard to do everything perfectly. I think that. We all, the three of us, understand this concept, but maybe people need to hear it again. Um, this 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 idea of of reaching a perfect perfect you know set of habits, um, it really is about whatever you can do, whatever is accessible to you financially and emotionally and physically, um, you know. And there's there's so much that you can eliminate by just using your plastic containers over and over because I don't know why they're marketed as single use. These things are freaking durable. Like, I mean, you can, you know, I mean, and then you get to the point where you're like, okay, now I have like 5 million takeout containers that I use for everything. So, whoa, okay. But, you know, you can store your bulk in there. Um, but that's a whole other, you know, conversation. But I'll say that my my um habits sort of revolve around trying my best, not feeling guilty. If I don't um, knowing that I'm offsetting that in other ways and working towards it, I do purchase bulk, um, like goods that I can just store forever, kind of like rice and um, certain beans and like, you know, lentils and nuts and that kind of thing, because it's accessible to me. Um, We have been doing a lot of cooking. Um, I'm also someone who just looks at a, a physical thing and sees how I can um, use it in another way. So I'm not just talking about food or cosmetics, but I will add that when you're a- assessing your waste, more often than not, you'll look at what you consume and realize that it comes down to two things. It comes down to what you eat, what you put in your body and what you put on your body in terms of cosmetics. And it's basically those two areas. It's like, what kind of lotion do I use and what kind of food do I eat and what kind of takeout do I get and what kind of like hairbrush do I put on, you know, use and your clothes. So it's kind of compartmentalizing it, I think has been a really great tool for me where I looked at it and I was like, okay, maybe I can use, you know, a um, moisturizer that's it's financially accessible to me to buy something that is, um, that I want to invest my money in and maybe spend less on something else that comes in a glass container that uh, then I can use for something else, so it's very, very, very slow and incremental uh I think is the way to go,
2: yeah, I actually would like to add too because it took me forever to start buying in bulk, and I also want to really highlight the fact that not everyone is privileged enough to be able to buy in bulk. There are areas where there's not even existence, like you can, you can 't even find a grocery store within. I don't know how many miles, but like driving distance where they even have a bulk section, right? So I know that's an issue. And I know we happen to live in places like New York and I lived in San Francisco when I started buying in bulk. So like there are different, more progressive cities. I would also kind of like just nudge that it, for someone who's listening like that's a great business idea and I think it's going to become much much more trendy so like finding a way to maybe introduce that to your local area is really good Um but I'll also say like the reason it took me so long to start buying in bulk was because I created this own my own mental barrier to doing that you know and I, I for some reason thought it was much more difficult than it was and all it took was for me to one day go to my my store and say I'm going to buy something in bulk today and that was so much fun and then I got to go home and like pour that into my little glass jar and it looked so pretty and like it's just like what you said about taking small steps I think not creating this like making such a huge Thing for yourself because that creates the barrier where you never get to doing that. Right? It's like one day I will be the one who goes and buy bulk. You don't have to buy everything in bulk. You start with something. Buy your oats in bulk, and then you start doing that or whatever you're eating. You know, rice or something. Um, and now I I buy almost everything I can in bulk, like herbs and everything. And it's cheaper and it's more fun. And yeah, maybe you spend a little bit more time in the grocery store than you would otherwise. But I think it just adds to the identity of who you are and who you want to be. And I think that in itself. It's a whole different topic we're talking about, like rebel sanity and like, you know, what I speak about with my happiness hormones and kind of creating that change, uh, which ultimately being an optimist and action is all about. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to kind of like plug that and say that I love the fact that you said, you know, no one's perfect and just like kind of building on uh, what you can do today and then keep adding on. Now, one more thing I really want to mention because all three of us, um, you know, working in the modeling industry and the fashion industry, obviously we know a lot about fashion. And you kind of mentioned it a little bit before how um, microfibers is something we also need to pay attention to. Do you want to quickly just cover the topic of microfibers and actually how they enter the water supply through our clothes?
0: yeah absolutely i'll be I'll be abridged about this, but I think it is really worth talking about so thanks for bringing us back to that quickly. Um, microfibers actually make up most of plastic pollution. We've been talking about microplastics that is sort of the broad umbrella term, but under that umbrella term is microfibers, which are basically um you know your clothing is made up of different different uh, types of materials and uh, oftentimes it is a man-made fiber and what that means is in layman's terms plastic it's plastic so polyester nylon you know spandex if you look at your label and it has any of these kinds of words on it basically anything that isn't cotton wool silk or you know leather or and you know, hemp basically uh, is is a plastic product. So, in the same ways that microplastics are shed um, through you know breaking down of water bottles and other kinds of macroplastics, um, we wash our clothes through the washer and dryer, and um, ma- most washer and dryers are not equipped with the filtration systems to um, you know efficiently capture these fibers. So they are washed directly into the sewage into the waterways. Um, and i would just also mention that um these are the fibers that are essentially airborne um so that you can you can sort of breathe them in and i don't know if there's enough research out there to uh, be able to confidently say that a piece of clothing that you're wearing is actively shedding microfibers into your body as you're breathing them in. But um, I know many people, and myself included, who would very much agree with that statement. Um, And I'm sure that there is research out there, but I don't actually know, I can't cite it right now. Um, So I think that's sort of the gist of it. Um, Fibers are, yeah, they're a huge, huge part of microplastics pollution. Um, And we need to move away from them really, really quickly. Uh, And luckily, there's so much sort of biotech happening in the fashion industry that is really turning around the capacity of function where we can have like, you know, sweat wicking, blah, 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 blah that actually performs better than spandex.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think for me, it's like when you mentioned that um, like microplastics are ending up in, you know, in placenta in in fetuses. and And I mean that the degree to which this has permeated into our lives and how it's all over the world um it it's it's one of those things where like you know one of the questions is like why don't we know about this why isn't this like the thing that we're talking about
0: Right? Why isn't this the thing we're talking about? And I think that it will be, uh, certainly as it becomes more of a public health issue. um, And as we start to really study and be able to get the money to study the more long term health effects um, of this, because, you know, we can care about the turtles. and, And, you know, it's very sad that fish are ingesting these particles. It's very sad that they're infiltrating all ecosystems on Earth. But it's not Actionable, and we won't have the drive to you know really push for policy until it's um, a really serious um, body, human body problem, and um, that's okay with me. You know, whatever gets people to care about the issue, it's it's just a matter of time, really. And I think that we, I used to have this kind of mis, I would say misconception about microplastics as being really insignificant in terms of all the issues of the day. Like, okay, we have a world hunger and clean water and, you know, wars. And it's just like, dude, stop talking about microplastics. It's not that big of an issue. You're so privileged to be having this conversation when so many people can't put food on the table. So I really understand that. And I am not here to tell anybody what to think. But I think that the more that I've learned about the issue the more that I've understood how many industries and demographics and, you know, expertise uh, areas and professions, it actually does affect. Um, And I think that the reason why I have uh, sort of committed myself to learning as much as possible about the issue and being able to talk about what I've learned is that it is certainly like without a doubt, one of the most actionable issues sort of in the moment like we can be talking about this now and the people who are listening uh if they have the privilege to afford you know certain products basically if they have the privilege to think about anything but survival mode which a lot of people don't have the privilege um and that is basically the same conversation we're having now is constantly in the back of my head is about COVID has brought up so many issues of you know, okay. We're now we're in survival mode. I can't think to like put my shit in a reusable container. Like, what are you asking me to do? This like my aunt just got COVID. Like, you know all this stuff. So we're getting closer. Um, if there is a positive to uh, to the struggles that so 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 many people around the world are facing every single day. Um, but not to get too much on a tangent. Although this is all the same conversation. I would say that. You know you can make you can take actions today that will like actually truly make an impact with your dollar and with your body um and with your ability to you know communicate with your local uh you know agents of change in the government um so i think that that's a reason why i'm so into this issue is like It spans the fashion industry, the oil industry, just so many different areas of life that we can actually use our own expertise and make differences and make a change.
1: It actually reminds me of something I learned from you, Ann. Is like every time you have the opportunity to get something new, like every time something needs to be replaced, every time you need to, you know, buy a new article of clothing or a, you know a new beauty product, whatever it is, to take the time to upgrade to something that has less of an impact on the planet. So it's just one of the takeaways that it just reminded me of, you know, things that we've talked about as well. So I just wanted to touch on that.
2: And I just want to say, because I feel like we could talk about this topic for hours. There are so many ways that we can dive deeper into each part of this. But to kind of just wrap up this conversation for anyone who may have just learned about microplastics and just understood how big of an issue it actually is. And the one thing that I keep coming back to is, do we have to wait until the day where this becomes a terrible issue for a human body? You know, like, do we have to wait until the day that someone dies? Can we actually learn something from all the terribleness going on in the world where we can see things before they happen and start seeing it trend and prevent it from happening like how can we start be- becoming more of that world so for someone who's listening and who is like wow I cannot believe more people don't know about this I want to help spread this message like can you give us like a one or two or three thing that people can like have as a conversation starter like did you know that because we've covered so many things uh, and I know this is like a really hard question but like what is something people can say just to get their their friends more interested in, in learning more about this topic
0: absolutely so I think that mentioning what i said at the beginning which is that microplastics are everywhere they're in every single corner of the globe um, and they're in our bodies etc it certainly is a conversation starter as freaky as it is to talk about um the protein plasma complex that you referenced earlier which is i'm laughing but it's really scary um the uh you know nanoplastics denature in our blood plasma not the cheeriest topic, um, obviously, to talk about. But I think that you know this this conversation is, um, you know, as I said, it spans so many different you know facets of life that it is relevant in so many areas. And if you're in fashion, um, you can talk about you know essentially my belief and the belief of um, the folks at Biofashion Tech Till. What is it? Till Bio Lab at Parsons. Um, are talking about shout out olivia greenspan um, are talking about she told me and it really resonated in fashion things clothes or garments other kind of you know items should be either constructed out of materials that Already exist 100% out of materials that are already existing, or uh, they should be entirely biodegradable, like totally reclaimable by the soil um, in, a, in a cost effective and realistic uh, time frame. So, you know, thrifting is my best friend. Um, clothing rental platforms are my best friend as well. Um, you know, and I'll also just say in order for people, you know, to kind of Figure out how they can make change in their own space, hopefully with this new administration, we're gonna really have the ability to push for this kind of thing. Um, but again, you can't like you can't stop microplastics like that's not the source of the issue, obviously, right? The source of the issue is fossil fuel corporations creating plastic. So that is where we need to focus our attention on a larger scale. and I would say. However, you know how, uh, pushing for legislation that bans or taxes, et cetera, et cetera, and simultaneously making it accessible for these communities who are literally just trying to survive marginalized communities, communities of color, BIPOC. They all need help uh, to, like, basically, we're white people. In in positions of privilege, like I, I feel comfortable because I'm not in survival mode on a daily basis. I have the privilege to think about what I use on a day to day. I can afford products that are packaged in, you know, materials that are more expensive to produce. Um, so I can use my privilege to call my elected officials. I can use my privilege also to, um, you know, you know, maybe organize and and I mean there is so much power in just like a community garden. I mean it's just insane and I know that you guys know that as well. So we're just like we we however you do it I have a professor who is saying like what is your sort of green your contribution to the green cause, which I really admire. So whatever you skill set that you have, whatever passions that you have, think about how you can attribute those to, you know, quote unquote, the green cause, it might be that you're an artist, you know, it, I mean, I could, you know, clearly, I'm, I'm going to stop there. But basically, just kind of assessing and doing like an internal check in terms of, um, you know, not just microplastics, but because this is a fossil fuel issue, this is a fashion issue, this is all of our health issue, how can I assess and like use my voice to, to, to target the source of the problem?
1: Oh, it's so helpful. And it's like, it's so much to take in, but it's so powerful. And I just wanted to say too, just that they're like having lived in Brooklyn for a long time. I mean, there's so many community gardens who are started, you know, from, um, you know, people of color. And so it's like the black community BIPOC, there's so many people who are also in this work. So we can absolutely be supporting things that have been already started and lending our support to those things and also starting something on your own. So, you know, using your voice, recognizing if you're in a position of privilege and also that there's so many incredible organizations that you can support as well for people who've been doing this for so, so many generations. I know you're you know involved in that as well.
0: Yes, absolutely. For those who don't know, I work with an amazing organization called Seeding Sovereignty. It's an indigenous-led organization basically just a bunch of badass people that I'm inspired by every single day and um and we talk about food sovereignty all the time and and we can shout out those amazing people that we know you know personally and professionally the bipoc in the new york area on the podcast for sure so that folks know like where to go and and what to look for you know given this information that we're talking about so absolutely
2: we're going to finish up with our rapid fire questions if you're super excited about these so I hope you're ready um before we do that we would love to just make sure that the f- listeners can find you and follow you if they want to reach out and ask more like specific questions about microplastics so just you know um, get to know you better and see what you're doing with the work about plastic but also everything with seed and sovereignty and what you're doing with your mom so where can we find you
0: thank you uh just madeline wallace on my instagram and that, I mean, I'll spell it M-A-D-E-L-E-I-N-E-W-A-L-L-A-C-E. And I have on my Instagram account, like my, um, I'm using this amazing new service called Dreamland. It's kind of like Linktree, but more interactive and sort of multifaceted. So you'll be able to find like my website and, you know, like more information about me and other features that I've done, other articles I've written, etc., etc. et cetera. Et cetera. So that's, that's me. I don't have any other social media.
2: We'll make sure to link that too. So people can easily find you and also all the resources that you mentioned earlier about microplastics. People can really start to nerd out if they wish to. All right. Are you ready?
0: I'm ready. I'll try to be as absolutely rapid as possible. They need a rapid
2: fire one. So, (laughs) (laughs) Okay. okay. Number one, what's one thing you do to help you stay motivated and optimistic?
0: Oh my Mm, exercise, to be quite honest. Exercise. Like even just kind of jumping up and down. I don't even care. Just exercise, moving your body.
1: What's something you've learned that has changed your world?
0: Hmm. I would say mm, rapid fire is not so rapid. <laughs> these These are like the deepest questions I've been asked, you guys. <laughs> What's something that has changed my world? I'm going to be I'm just going to say, what well, top of my head, peanut butter, freaking love peanut butter.
2: <laughs> I love the honesty in that answer. <laughs> um, okay. Another, maybe a hard one. Favorite quote.
0: Okay. Communication wise, I love the phrase, there's nothing you can't tell me. There's nothing I don't want to hear. I think we need to open up communication. Um, this is something my mom told me growing up and it's something that I really lived by. It created a sense of worth in me and um, you know, really stressed the, um, the importance of sort of being like a vulnerable human being and that someone is always going to care and want to hear you.
1: I love that. Can you say that quote one more time?
0: Yeah, there's nothing you can't tell me. There's nothing I don't want to hear. It's just like this thing that I grew up hearing from my mom. This woman made it up and just started saying it to me. Isn't that awesome?
2: Wow. Yeah.
0: Because yeah, I don't really keep like a Rolodex of. <laughs> that's not the right word. I'm too young for that word. I don't keep a, a like a like a you know library of quotes <laughs> in my head. So I don't really have any quotes <laughs> to say. So that's just it's not really a quote, but it's uh, now it is. <laughs>
1: I love it. I think that's really beautiful. I actually really like that a lot. Um, Okay. Number four, what is a book that you read that really stuck with you?
0: Uh, There's a book called Other Minds. I'm sure some people have heard of this. It's by Peter Godfrey Smith, Paul Godfrey Smith. It's about octopuses, my favorite
2: oh i need to add that one to my list other minds
0: yeah and it's not just octopuses like you don't have to be into octopuses it's very existential sort of from a more philosophical standpoint so it applies to a lot of different other areas too
2: well you know what i was i saw that show on netflix about that octopus and that changed my whole mind about octopuses octopuses
0: <laughs> octopuses Well, yeah, different, same species, multiple is octopi. But if you're talking about like every octopus, like on the earth, it's actually octopuses. Oh,
2: really? Well, the sweet was right, Robin. (laughs) (laughs) I know. (laughs) A mantra or a phrase that you repeat to yourself?
0: Oh, easy. I'm all flowers and no one can take that away. Isn't that awesome? I know. Isn't that awesome? Because people, dude, so many people have tried to just shit on, excuse me, I don't know if I can say that word. So many people have just tried to. Okay, like my natural just bubbliness and I've learned that, you know, it's just an innate part of me and like that's just who I am and uh and we love you for it. Thank you. And so it's that, that some people don't feel comfortable in themselves and they they want to sort of project that and I've learned that that's just going to be an ever renewing resource for me and that's who I am and that was given by a dear friend who really yeah, knows me well and is like very intuitive. So I love that.
1: Um, okay. Number six, if you could instill one change in the world right now that would go into effect immediately and stay the same forever, what would that be?
0: Okay. I believe that like, countries and this concept of having borders is so weird. <laughs> and I... You know, Noam Chomsky has talked about internationalism. It's this sort of word that can be used for this kind of concept. Um, it was also the question that I got asked and that basically got me into Barnard was like, if you were to design a course, what would it be? And I would say I would talk I would design a course on internationalism, I think. So weird this concept, like of 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 countries, and and why am I different from you? Because you're from France. Like I, I just think it would solve so many issues. Um, I think that having groups and governing bodies, it's okay. That's okay. Um, but I'm really, if I were to instill one change, it would be to just go back to a more, like community on earth we're on we're all on the community of earth and i just think i'm not saying that i would like abolish countries immediately but um i think that yeah it leads to a whole lot a lot of issues that would we would really be able to figure out pretty quickly if we didn't have that so
2: agreed great answer um what is something you're letting go of
0: i'm letting go of I am letting go of the temptation. How do I phrase this? Some people are just never going to be able to receive anger that they deserve. (laughs) <laughs> okay wait maybe i need to rephrase that i'm letting go of the the wish or the potential to help people who have hurt me understand uh, cuz they're never going to understand and that's okay
1: mm. nice I, I see what you're saying now.
0: <laughs> yeah, i'm I'm not talking about ha- I'm not talking about not having. I'm talking about people who are incapable of having like an, a real conversation, basically. Um, because, as you ladies know and can relate, we are, we are em- empaths who really want to to communicate as openly as possible with people, and we are always seeing people's potential. And I'm letting go of sometimes seeing people's potential as having nothing to do with me, basically having no potential in relation to me. And that's okay. Totally.
2: No, I see what you're saying. I've actually done a lot of that healing myself. And I think it's so necessary at some point to kind of forgive yourself for, for all the past pain and kind of just move on um, and say, I don't need to fix this. You know, he may never be turned or whatever she, and I'm moving on. And I think that's a really healing thing
0: to do. So good on you. Thank you. It's hard, right? It's really hard, but it's, we it has, to, it has to be them. Yeah.
1: And it brings the focus back onto what is in your sphere of control, which is yourself, as opposed to what you're trying to change in the outside world, which you can influence, but you can't
0: control. Exactly. And, and really quickly, even if you're not trying to control, it's like, trying to find closure in yourself ha- also is, is within your own capacity. And, you know, some people will never, never receive, uh, you know, and be able to acknowledge and validate how you're feeling. And that's okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, the next question is what's something that you're starting
0: Ooh, Well, I am <laughs> starting the freaking year or <laughs> 2021. No, I'm also not really one of these people who thinks it's going to be like a totally different year. It's like, okay, it's the next day. Let's keep fighting for the same stuff we've been fighting for. Um, but I am starting, uh, you know, in fact, I am starting something specific. I just can't really talk about it right now, but it's really exciting. Uh, and it, it is sort of a passion project. Um, and I'm very excited to keep talking about the specifics as it, as it, go, as it happens. Um, cliffhanger. Yeah, major cliffhanger. So I'm starting something.
2: <laughs> well, let's leave it at that. You just follow Madeline and you'll know in time. <laughs> yep. um, what is the message you want people to hear? Um, that's everything you just said in this episode,
0: (laughs) (laughs) a message that I want people to hear. Wow. Um, I love this, um, that I love you.
1: Thank you. That's so nice. I think even when you hear it from people, don't, you don't know, it's still so uplifting. Yeah. Thank you.
2: It's also a reminder that we're all just one, right? Like what you talked about, like not having borders, Ultimately, we're all just beings of different kinds of energetic, you know, matter that's on this planet together. And, you know, it's, it's when you start creating space for love for everyone, no matter if you know that person or not, that's when you really start to heal yourself and ultimately the world. So it's beautiful.
1: Well, this is our last rapid fire question, which is what does being an optimist in action mean to you?
0: Oh Yes, I love this. I would say that I relate so strongly to what you guys are trying to do because I operate from this place of what I like to call, sort of similarly as you have coined, uh, like optimist, you know, in action or or climate optimist. I like to sort of circulate this concept in my head of um, of humble ambition. It's this concept where. I'm realistic and I'm educated and I'm informed and I'm capable, but I'm just going to try as hard as I can. And I'm not attached to the outcome, but I'm just going to try. And so that's what that means to me. Um, It means sort of just having a curiosity about life and about the world always. And I think that that's the sort of sparkly, like, like, sort of just sparkle that happens in life and that makes things go. <laughs> um, and and so I'm someone who, like you and like probably a lot of people listening, is very aware of the reality of the world. And My mind is not in the clouds. I am not this person who has this lofty vision um, about, you know, a prosperous utopian future. I really, really understand um, the pain uh, that the world is, is going to continue to face. But I think that it is um, basically innate to human beings evolutionarily to be optimistic. I mean, if we weren't optimistic about the future, we would literally just die. Um, So it's it's a part of who we are. So that's my answer.
2: (laughs) I love that. I also feel like we can kind of like rename rapid fire question to like this cozy little bonfire session.
0: (laughs) rapid bonfire.
2: <laughs> it's like, let's just gather and have a little mini chat about important stuff in life. Thank you, Madeline. You're awesome. We love you.
0: Thank you so much. I, I'm i so happy to have been given the opportunity to just go on and on and on about this kind of stuff. Clearly, it's a huge conversation that we can, you know, will always continue to have. And I hope that, you know, whoever's listening learned something today. And thank you for having me.
2: Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Hey change podcast. If you'd like to support the show, please share this episode with friends, family or someone in your network. Also,
1: don't forget to give it five stars in the app so that we can reach more listeners just like you. We love hearing from our listeners, so please tag us when you share this episode on social media. We'd love to connect with you and learn about what you are doing too. You can find where to reach us in the show notes. Before you go, we'd like to invite you to pause and to leave you with this one
2: final question. What does being an optimist in action mean to you?